And so this week I was reminded that when you decide to follow Jesus, we really put our own agendas aside, right? We're going to follow God's will with our lives. We're going to get up in the morning and say, God, may your will be done. We're going to put away our own agendas. And that doesn't always mean that things are comfortable, right? When you follow Jesus, I think you enter into almost an unwritten contract that things are going to be uncomfortable. If you've lived for any length of time, you know that Jesus can place us in some pretty uncomfortable situations. Sometimes telling others about Jesus is uncomfortable, right? Sharing the gospel with somebody that you don't know, that, that's an uncomfortable situation sometimes. It just is. The more we do it, the better we get at it, and maybe the less uncomfortable we are. You know, going to a local ministry or a food bank, going and serving somewhere, that can be uncomfortable, right? People that you don't know, people that look different or maybe sometimes smell different than us. That can be an uncomfortable situation. You know, giving, giving money or giving to someone, right? Giving a resource or a tangible need to someone. That's a, sometimes an uncomfortable situation. You know, giving back to God. You know, God wants our first fruits. He doesn't want us to give of our excess. He wants us to give of what we, what we have. And sometimes giving hurts, right? And so serving Jesus, following Jesus is never meant to be easy or comfortable. I think one of the reasons why um, we see a, a, a great walking away from the church is what I would call it, is that sometimes church is uncomfortable, right? There can be conflict. There can be challenge in, you know, relationship challenge. There can be political differences. There can be all sorts of differences, and there can be conflict within the church walls. Sometimes church is uncomfortable. Getting up in the morning, right, is sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's my day off or it's Sunday, and oh man, i got to put pants on. Great. Right? Stay at home in your PJs. That's more comfortable, is it not, right? From a human standpoint, it's more comfortable. You know, but following Jesus, I would say, is intended to be anything but comfortable. We assume that God's will is that we stay in kind of this place of comfort, right? If we're comfortable and things are easy and things are known, we boy must be really doing God's will. And I would argue the, the opposite sometimes. All throughout Scripture, all through the Bible, I see some, some people that were put in some pretty uncomfortable situations, right? Again, that's what I would call the human condition. Right? We like it when things are comfortable. Who doesn't, right? When it's uncomfortable, it's no fun, or it hurts, it costs time or energy or resources, I, I, I get it, right? But, again, the Bible communicates that following Jesus comes with a cost. And the human cost sometimes is giving up what we know, what we have, what we see, sacrifice. Following Jesus sometimes means we give up the things that we hold really tightly, the things that we hold dear. And so again, on the phone this week, I said, you know, I think Jesus cares a whole lot more about our heart than he does our comfort. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus encounters a couple of young men, and he asks them to drop their nets and follow him. Jesus called them into a life that was entirely uncomfortable. It wasn't easy, it wasn't simple, but immediately these men dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. 
Matthew 4, 18-22. Verse 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know, a passage begins with, with you know, Jesus assembling his, his ministry team, right? So this is the very front end of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he's gathering the men who's going to comprise his dream team, right? His ministry team. And he, and he first receives these, these two young men. He takes these select group of guys, and they are his, his core followers, right? His disciples. And he says, you've been fishing, fishing for fish, but now you're going to become fishers of men. So, so Jesus encounters Simon and Andrew, obviously walking along the Sea of Galilee. And Galilee was really a, a pretty rural region. It was a pretty um, spiritually dark region. There were a whole lot of Gentiles, so non-Jews that lived in this region. And so you had a whole lot of people that were, it was what I would call kind of religious ignorance or living in spiritual darkness. And, and Jesus, ironically, kind of selects his dream team or takes his dream team, his disciples, from this very spiritually dark region. And of all the religion, all the religious people were slightly down south. In, or typically most of those people were down south. The Jews were in Jerusalem. Galilee was slightly north of Jerusalem. And so all of the religious, the teachers of the law, the educated, you know, the elite class, so to speak, they were in Jerusalem. But here we have Jesus in this little town that's essentially, comparatively, spiritually dark, a place full of Gentiles, this place where if you're going to assemble your dream team, so to speak, this would not be it from a human standpoint. And so, the, you know, the Jewish people were anticipating a, a kingly entrance, right? That's why, that's why the Jews perceived that Jesus as not being the Messiah. This is not the king that we anticipated, right? So this is in keeping precisely what Jesus came to do. He called the unlikely, the least likely, and Jesus calls these two young men, Simon and Andrew. And, you know, in the second part of verse 18, Matthew makes mention that these two brothers were fishermen, right? Matthew includes that. He says that these two men were fishermen. And I wonder why Matthew put that in there. But obviously fishing is what they did, right? That was their vocation. That was their occupation. That's how they put food on the table or earned their living, provided for their families. But from a vocational standpoint, you know, this is what these, these men knew how to fish. That's what they did every day, at least six days a week. And so that's how they, again, that's how they paid the bills. That's how they provided. This is what they knew. Their father could have been fishermen, right? At least uh, James and John, their father was a fisherman. So it was something that was often, you know, passed down kind of generationally. In other words, these men, they were not prestigious men. They were not 
educated men. They were not part of the religious elite, right? They didn't come from Jerusalem. They weren't seminary graduates. They weren't pastors. They were not educated men. And so you have Peter and Andrew who in this moment, they couldn't rely on their education, right? They couldn't rely on um, their family history, their charisma. They, didn't, they couldn't rely on their power or their community status. They had to solely rely on the supernatural power of God in this moment. Jesus comes to them and says, put down your nets, and immediately they put their nets down and follow Jesus. And when I read this, one of the first reminders for me this week was that there's great power in simply being available to do God's work, isn't there? There's incredible power in just simply being available. So Jesus' call to, to, to Simon and Andrew had a whole lot less to do with their ability than their availability. Again, they were not the most experienced. They were not the most educated. They were not the most qualified men. They were simply available in this moment. Jesus comes along and he says, guys, follow me. And so these two, these two young men, they were simply available and ready to be used by however God wanted, right? And in this availability, I was also reminded this week that that is only under God's power that we can accomplish his purposes, right? So again, these were not men that could rely on their education or their family history or any of these sorts of things. It was only under the supernatural power of God that they could do Jesus' work or to walk alongside Jesus. And, and God isn't looking for the most qualified, right? This is an example of that. But God qualifies those he calls, right? God's not looking for the most qualified of individuals. He will equip his people for precisely what they need. And Jesus really does that, in, again, in inviting Andrew and Simon on this journey. He is going to give them what they need. And so Jesus says to both, you know, again, Simon Peter and Andrew, he says, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Again, this is what these, these men knew. They knew how to fish. That's what they did. But Jesus says, Come with me to pursue a new vocation. He was asking these men to work for a more noble end, a higher cause. Fishing is good. These men still fished. But Jesus comes in and says, I've got a more noble cause. I've got a higher cause. Yeah, you can still fish, but ultimately we're going to go and be fishers of men. Nothing, nothing wrong with being fishermen, right? That's, again, that's what they did. So they provide for their families. But Jesus comes in, he interrupts their day, interrupts their life and says, I've got a new purpose for you. And the first point I want to get at is, is this, is that God will supply all you need to do his work. Again, God will supply all you need to do his work. You know, in encountering these gentlemen, you know, Jesus didn't say, follow me and all of your wildest dreams will come true, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say, follow me and I'll provide a a smooth and easy path to uh, form and or fame and, and riches and glory, right? He says the exact opposite. Follow me and I will change your priorities is what Jesus says. 
Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will change you from the inside out. And Andrew and Simon, encountering Jesus right there on the Sea of Galilee, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they heard Jesus' words, and the disciples simply left their nets and they followed Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Simply, I just get this picture of them dropping their nets, no questions asked. We're going to follow this guy. And a couple things that kind of hit me this week that, you know, Matthew writes that, again, that they immediately left their nets. They didn't belabor, right? They didn't ask questions. They didn't ask, well, what's in it for me? What does the retirement package look like? What are my benefits? You know, are we coming back soon? What are some pros and cons? Let me inquire with my mom before I go, right? They didn't do any of that. They simply obeyed. They immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. I got to thinking myself, what, what would I have done in that moment? Maybe you're wondering yourself. And I'm sure I would have asked questions. Yeah, but, but are we coming back soon? It's not going to be too difficult, is it, Jesus? We'll be back by dinner, right? Right? How, where are we going? How long are we going to be gone? Can I pack my duffel bag? Can I bring? Right? I probably would have asked all kinds of questions. I wonder if I would have immediately dropped my nets and followed Jesus. But I think in my humanity, under my own power, I probably would have said, hmm, what? what's the future hold? Is this going to be worth it? What's the job pay? What's my office look like, right? Is there health insurance? Right? Oh, I wonder. That's not what happened, right? So these two gentlemen immediately dropped their nets. They didn't need to read the job description. They didn't say what's in it for me under the guidance of God's supernatural peace, God's spirit, they made a pretty immediate and radical decision, didn't they? They immediately dropped their nets and followed Jesus. They left their jobs, full-time jobs. They still fished, just not in the same way. They had a new primary vocation. They left their jobs, essentially left their source of provision. They left everything they knew, really up to that point, they left the safety and comforts of that life and took on an entirely new life to follow Jesus Christ. And I wonder if, if Peter and Andrew had known the cost. I wonder if they would have made such a quick decision. You know, Scripture doesn't say it directly, but both disciples were thought to have been crucified. Historians claim that both these men were crucified. Andrew was crucified for his faith. The exact date is kind of up in the air, not, not sure on that. And Peter was crucified 30 years after following Jesus. And the claim was that Peter was crucified upside down because he says, He says, I'm not worthy to be put to death in the same way as Jesus was. He has to be crucified upside down. He says, I'm not worthy of being crucified in the same way as my Savior. So here you've got these two guys. You know, the cost of following Jesus. From an earthly perspective, the cost of everything. They lost everything, right? Their lives. 
in verse 21, a little bit of a transition in the story. So Jesus is still along the Sea of Galilee, still walking along the Sea of Galilee, but now his interaction shifts from Simon and Andrew to two other fishermen, James and John. And here we see James and John mending their nets. Another translation says they were preparing their nets. Hopefully it's after a, a pretty big day of fishing or something. I don't know. Scripture is not clear, but they're mending their nets, preparing their nets, and Jesus comes their direction. And Jesus also mentions, right, if you go back to the passage, Jesus mentions that their father Zebedee is part of the story. Kind of an interesting thing that, that the gospel writers include Zebedee. So he's James and John's father. And there are a number of different instances where Zebedee is mentioned. You can do some, a little bit of research on that guy, but the thought was that he was a man of means. He was a, Scripture speaks to that he had um, uh, probably a number of workers working for him. So he probably had a fleet of boats, or he had uh, many fishermen working with him or for him. So, um, again, there was uh, many mentions of Zebedee in Scripture. So, he's mentioned partly also because there were more than one Jameses, and so they're connecting there's a distinction between another James and this James, the brother of John and Jesus. So that's Zebedee's father. And there's a mention of Zebedee also because family history and lineage is pretty important in the Jewish culture, right? We know that. That you know the the book of Matthew begins with an entire uh, lineage and, and gene genealogy breakdown of, of the beginning of history all the way to, to Jesus Christ. So uh, Matthew 1 1 says that Jesus Christ was the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and so on. So genealogy and lineage is pretty important to the Jewish culture. So Zebedee is mentioned because he's a man of importance, he was a man of means, and so he's connected to his sons and James and John. So um, Matthew doesn't say this, so our passage doesn't say this, but Mark says this, so in Mark's account of this story, um, James and John left their father without delay. Interesting. So James and John, upon encountering Jesus in this moment, these men are mending their nets. Jesus comes up to them and without delay. Again, they didn't hesitate, didn't ask questions. What's in it for me? They didn't make a pros and cons list. They didn't call mom to ask for permission. They simply left. And again, I think to make matters kind of more complicated, Zebedee, dad, was what they would have called maybe a man of means. Again, he had a fleet of fishing boats, is what is what Scripture kind of speaks to. Um, he had some resources. And so, again, uh, Matthew doesn't mention this either, but in the Gospel of Mark, he, he, um, Scripture says that he had hired men. So, for James and John to leave the family business, right? That's a big deal, right? They could have looked at the boats or the fleet or the hired men and, and kind of wrung their hands like one day. Yeah, this is going to be all mine. It's going to be awesome. I don't know that. We're, I'm, I'm reading the scripture a little bit. But you get the point in that. It could have been a pretty complicated decision for these guys to leave in their families, to leave in their vocation, in essence, their primary vocation, 
And again, they still fished, but Jesus gave them a new set of priorities. So, to complicate matters, these guys very well could have been thinking to themselves, you know, one day I will be the operator of this fleet, or these hired men. And so, upon encountering Jesus, they immediately walked away. They left their means of provision again, their father's business, in order to follow Jesus. And Jesus really says this. He asks them to take on a new identity. The second point I want us to, to highlight here in the, from this passage is that following Jesus means your identity is in Him. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. You know, James and John were now going to be identified as followers of Jesus. They were no longer just fishermen. They were no longer just Zebedee's sons, right? They were now going to be identified as followers of Jesus, as one of Jesus' disciples. It's a great reminder for us, right, that our identity may only be found in Jesus Christ. Our identity isn't our letters behind our name or our bank accounts or our possessions or our material things. Our identity is not our family or our friends or where we live or what we do or what we drive, right? Our identity is only found in Jesus Christ, right? That's it. And in the same way, I wonder if James and John would have, would have left immediately had they known what the cost was going to be. And it cost James and John everything. Literally, it cost them everything. They left the life they knew. They left what you might call a comfortable life or a safe life or a known life, right? They left everything to follow Jesus. James was beheaded by King Herod a decade after Jesus' death. Beheaded out of the cost of following Jesus. And historians claim that John was, he was martyred for his faith a couple decades later. For these four fishermen to encounter Jesus Christ in this way, and for Jesus to say, put down your nets, follow me, they immediately did so, and it cost them everything. And ultimately it cost them their life. So the question that we have is, so what, right? What does that mean for me? And I'll tell you. And I think many times our we deem our decisions as being good or bad or wise or unwise based on what I would say the, the, the comfort provided in those decisions, right? Is it wise or unwise, good or bad? Sometimes our desire for comfort informs our decisions, right? Again, sometimes I think that while we're comfortable and safe and easy, we must be doing God's will. Now, that might be true on some level. I think the opposite is true. I think God is a whole lot less concerned about our comfort than He is our hearts. I read some trends this week that were kind of interesting, and um, I'm trying to cut down on the news, but I don't. It's not easy to cut down on the news. So, trying to cut down on the news. My wife wants me to cut down and read the news. She thinks it causes all kinds of anyway. So, so I read a couple trends this week that were kind of interesting. Um, 
Our houses are getting bigger and our families are getting smaller. You notice that, right? And maybe not new news. So our houses, average house today, the, the square footage is about 2,500 square feet. It's about, about where it is. 50 years ago, back in the early 70s or mid-70s, they were about 1,500 square feet, right? Some of you probably remember growing up at home that was maybe 800 square feet or 900 square feet or maybe even outdoor plumbing was kind of a luxury for some, right? Yeah. But a, a pretty interesting uh, trend. So I would say our houses today, I'm going to go with this, I'm going to say they're almost twice the size they were 50 years ago. And our birth rate continues to decline in our country. You guys know that? Yeah, people are not having kids. They're less kids. And I, I read this week that it's at an all-time, a 50-year all-time low this last year, our, our birth rate. You know, so young couples, perceivingly, or my perception is they're choosing not to have kids. And I think if you went out and talked to people, you'd go, man, it's just, it costs a whole lot of money to have kids, right? And it does. Can't, can't get away from that. So there's economic reasons. It could be lots of reasons, but I think one of the one of the reasons people are choosing not to have kids is is it's not always comfortable. Can I say that? It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. It's hard work. This week, my wife and I woke up in, in the morning, and there was a kid in between us. I'm not sure who it was. I'm not sure how they got there. I really neither of us were like. There's a kid right there. He looked like us, so we were pretty safe with that, but yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He's he's too short. He's about he, he can't get up there. So, you know, what my point is is that we often default to safety and comfort, right? That's the human condition. We want things that are safe and simple and easy and you know, our houses have grown because we have more possessions, right? We want more living space, so we desire to be more comfortable, and we want different TVs and different rooms, and I want to watch what I don't watch, and we want our, our man caves, right, or our multiple bathrooms or guest rooms and three-car garages and workshops, and right? There's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? But Oftentimes our decisions are made because we desire to be comfortable, right? And, and again, being a parent can be totally uncomfortable. We were designed to be comfortable, you know? It's, it's a sacrifice financially and physically and emotionally and mentally sometimes. And so, but here's what I'm getting at. Again, our decisions are often made with a desire for some sort of base level of comfort, right? Comfort's the American way, right? It's the American dream. You know? I don't see any promise of comfort from the Bible. I look at God's Word and I'm seeing a whole lot of uncomfortable people. I'm seeing James and John and Peter and Andrew. These very men lost their life because they followed Jesus. Jesus says, He says, Go tell others about me. He says, Pick up your cross. Die to yourself. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. He says, go sell all that you own. Then you're worthy of coming after me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Following Jesus comes with a cost. I'm not so convinced that Jesus is concerned about our comfort. Some of the most joyful, gracious, thankful, wonderful people are people that live outside of North America, are they not? You've been to a third world country, these places where our shoeboxes go to. Some of the most joyful, amazingly spirit-filled individuals, and they have nothing. Totally financially poor, but spiritually rich. Right? So from our passage this morning, I believe that God would ask us to trust in Him regardless of the cost, regardless of what is on that other side. We have to trust Jesus implicitly. And oftentimes, it is uncomfortable. It is absolutely uncomfortable. I don't think following Jesus always means quitting your job or selling your house or living in a van down by the river, right? Just so you can be uncomfortable, right? That's not what the scripture is saying, right? That's a passage. But on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Peter, Andrew, James, and John did not allow comfort to influence their decision-making. They put their complete and radical trust in Jesus in this moment. I would think, I would hope, and I would pray that should Jesus asked us to put down our nets, whatever those nets might be, that we'd be willing to immediately put those nets down and follow him. So the question for us, what are our nets? What are they holding on to? What am I doing this with? Is Jesus asking me to lay my net down and to follow him in radical obedience and radical trust in him? I think we all have a net. Need more than one net. And what is that? What does Jesus ask me to put down in order to follow him? You know, God promises that a life of complete trust and obedience will yield supernatural, spirit given peace, but not comfort. Jesus doesn't promise comfort. So as you discern the voice of Jesus, again, what is he asking you to put down? Is there a net that you're holding on to that he's asking you to put down this morning? May we put down those nets and may we follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. The first Sunday of every month, we have an opportunity to uh, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross on our behalf. And so I invite the ushers up as we take communion together this morning.